Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. This is Dr. Bill Kanaski. Uh, short podcast today, but important podcast, continuing on with our 2024 MedMal uh, series. Let's talk about expert witness testimony uh, in medical malpractice. Um, 20 years of doing this, um, I have worked on thousands thousands of med mal cases and i got some bad news for you um expert witness testimony in medical malpractice does not get you very far and there's a few reasons for this relative to other areas of litigation the number one reason why it doesn't get you very far is that the expert witness never evaluated this particular patient Okay. Now, for example, in a product liability case, right, let's say a tire blowout, right? And they're suing the tire manufacturer. Well, that tire is typically available for evaluation by both sides. And the expert witness can get in front of the jury and say, I, I looked at the I looked at the tire from the accident. And here's my scientific assessment. That doesn't happen in medical malpractice. Okay. And so what I've seen in 20 years of doing litigation consulting, focus groups, mock trials, witness training in medical malpractice is a heavy over-reliance on experts and um, both defense counsel, um, hospital systems, insurance companies that uh, insure um, physicians really, really go big. I got this great expert. I got this great expert from Harvard or Yale or Cedars-Sinai or you know, UCLA or uh, Duke Medical Center, UNC Hospital, <laughs> Shands at the University of Florida. And the jurors, they just don't care. Now, right now, I've offended half of the audience because they're saying no i need my expert okay experts serve a purpose um it, it's not going to have a, a a big influence on jury decision making okay so i'm gonna make a very bold statement here but this is a factual statement from my experience over 20 years i have interviewed thousands of jurors over 20 years on mid mal cases many of them post-trial interviews case goes to verdict, I call the jurors and I interview them. Then on top of that, even more uh, mock jurors that we've collected data from from our uh, mock juries, um, focus groups, on all kinds of med mal cases, birth injury cases, post-surgical infection cases, leaving surgical instruments inside of people cases, bariatric surgery gone wrong. Okay. All of them, you name it, worked on it. The never once in 20 years of doing that, did any juror report to me, any of my colleagues, that one of the core factors in their decision-making was the testimony of one of the expert witnesses ever in 20 years. 
Product liability case, different. Intellectual property case, different. Commercial litigation, different. Because these experts never saw the actual patient. They were not there. They're looking at medical records and giving an opinion. Okay? So, I'm not saying experts in medical malpractice are useless. You obviously need them. You need one in many states just to file a lawsuit. You have to have an expert, right? However, their testimony is not going to win your case. It's not going to lose your case either. So using the expert to evaluate your case, to help you <clears throat> with how you're going to try the case, how you're going to work up the case, good stuff. However, do not rely on them to win your case. That's not how jurors make decisions in med mal cases, period. You may not, in the words of Ric Flair, <laughs> right? The words of Ric Flair, you may not like it, but you better learn to love it. Because <laughs> it's the best thing going today. Woo! Right, right. All of you Ric Flair fans know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have no idea who Ric Flair is, now you think I'm crazy. Go Google Go YouTube, Ric Flair. You'll you'll get it. If you don't like it, you better learn to love it because that is what... So now, but you need one, okay? But largely, they're going to cancel each other out to the jurors. Different type of case, very, very different, okay? When the expert can get their... their they, can, they can analyze that blown out tire or they can analyze that contract and the contract dispute, Okay. Very, very different. Medmal, not so much. So what are you trying to get out of your expert in front of these juries? Well, they got to defend your case. But the thing is, there's going to be a competent, well-trained, prestigious expert on their side. The jury hears two really, really smart, qualified physicians or nursing experts. And they kind of go... Uh, okay. They both sound good. To me. Uh, yeah. And so what happens is cancel out effect and they move to the next variable. Your fact witness performance and medical malpractice will determine your fate far more than the expert witness performance. We know that. Hence why we spend so much damn time <laughs> training nurses and physicians and allied healthcare professionals for their depositions and for trial testimony. It's the number one driving factor in Memo. But everybody's just got this, got to have the best expert. I got this best expert. It, it, no, you need an adequate expert. <laughs> adequate expert to appropriately defend the care of the healthcare provider. And that's it. They are not going to win your case, period. Now, can they lose the case? Uh, yeah, if they really suck on the stand. I've seen that before. They've got a great CV, and they're just dog shit witnesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can really hurt you. But they could be phenomenal witnesses, 
And it's really not going to help because typically you have a phenomenal witness on the other side, cancels each other out. Now, here's a trick. Where I have seen some movement in jury decision-making when it comes to the experts are the visual aids being used by the experts, okay? So their expertise, their testimony generally cancels each other out. But if you want to get an edge, you want to get an edge here, make sure, and this is not just for the expert. This is for the overall case. So for defense counsel too, an opening and closing, maybe with some fact witnesses, your visual presentation of your case must be superior to that of your adversary. Must be superior. Must be superior. That will give you the edge. If you just have two really smart MDs or PhDs or whoever, essentially testifying for each side, Again, Jared's just kind of shrugging, uh, okay, that's nice. Next, it's not enough. But the way to get the edge here, assu assuming that the quality of testimony from both witnesses is roughly equal, body language, communication skills, eye contact with the jury, knowledge, the ability to explain complex medical processes, pathophysiology, assuming most of that's going to be equal, where can you get the edge? The visual presentation. Particularly if your expert's going to teach something to the jurors. Okay? So arm your experts with the very best visuals possible to be more persuasive to the jury. That can give you an edge. But... Everything else being equal, these these witnesses really don't make a big difference in um, jury decision making on liability, certainly not damages. Okay. Now, that being said, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper. Okay, so you got your expert witness, right? And they're going to use, whether it be anatomy and physiology, graphics or exhibits, right? Okay. Those need to be super professional, but they also can't be overwhelming. So you get a balancing act here. You get really, really complicated things, but you can't overwhelm the jurors. It can't be too complicated. Okay. Can't be too complicated. So their ability to teach. Now, I've had several, and this this is really important for the actual defendant too, in some of these cases, particularly surgeons. But this is for the expert as well. If your expert's able to teach something, and um, I've had several, both defendant physicians, usually surgeons, and experts, get a whiteboard and colored markers, and they could actually draw things, just like they would with a with a real patient. I found that to have a real impact. I've seen jurors go, "Wow." Wow, that was that was a blank whiteboard five minutes ago. And now there's the anatomy of the cardiovascular system. I go, geez. Wow. Or you know, I, I knew there was four chambers of the heart, but, but I mean, this guy just drew a heart for me. Wow. Okay. 
That's where to get an edge. But going into this, this over reliance, I see this over reliance on the experts. Okay. Get what you need from them. Put your focus towards the presentation, the preparation, and the training of the fact witnesses, particularly the named defendants, but all these other folks, you know, treating physicians, nurses, okay? They come across as authentic, confident, compassionate providers. That's going to go a long, long, long way with the jurors. Now, plaintiff's counsel knows this. Therefore, their number one goal will be to make these witnesses uncomfortable, to get under their skin. Reptile stuff, right? Negative reinforcement. All the tricks and traps that we cover with these witnesses when when we train them. But that 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 is really, really important is that your fact witnesses deliver and not go into a trial telling yourself, like when you're looking in the mirror, defense counsel, don't be looking in the mirror going, hey, I got the best expert here. No one cares. Let me repeat that. No one cares. When your client, the head of claims for the hospital system or the insurance company says, what do you think? And you go, well, I got this great expert. Mm -mm. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, when it comes to medical litigation, other things you need to be doing, they're going to be far more impactful with the jurors. Okay? So have your bases covered there, but watch the, you know, over-reliance on it. So I hope you guys are enjoying this MedMal series. Uh, I've done a lot of MedMal in my career, continue to do so, along with other areas. Obviously, you know, our involvement in the transportation industry, product liability, premises liability, you know, it's all over the place. A lot of, a lot of commercial litigation too. But... Um, 2024, I want everybody to have a great new year. And um, I know everybody said, yeah, New Year's resolutions. I hate New Year's resolutions. I, can, I, I think they're dumb. I think it sets you up for failure. All right? Go to your local gym in the, the, the month of January, right? You, you're going to be waiting around for every machine. It's going to be packed. By, by February, by, by Valentine's Day, <laughs> right? It's going to be empty. I hate New Year's resolutions. This is kind of a, a mini rant today. Very, very, don't like New Year's resolutions. Idealistic goals. I want to, I want to lose 40 pounds. Nope. Set yourself up for failure. Focus on the first two pounds. Okay. Lose two pounds. 20 times. I used to do research in this back in my back in my psychology days in behavioral medicine. Okay. Goal setting. But what does that mean for attorneys, claims people listening to this? Hey, uh, I care about all of you. I want everybody to be happy. I want you to thrive in your careers. Okay. I would tell you this. With your goal setting, 
be a combination of realistic, meaning small steps for the bigger goal. But here's the bigger thing. Set goals that are uncommon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in there. Set goals, your professional goals and your personal goals, whether it be health or whatever, marriage, family, whatever. Be uncommon with your goals. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Common goals lead to common outcomes. You want to be unique? You want to be a superstar? You want to do something special? Your goal has to be special. But you got to balance it with practical, right? That's really what this is all about. With your pet professional development, with your personal development. Now, at this point in the podcast, you're going, why is he going off on this tangent? Blah, 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 blah. Because one of the things we talk about on this podcast is mental health. We talk about, we talk about mental health of witnesses, mental health of defendants. Mental health of attorneys. Mental health of claims people. Every couple weeks on LinkedIn, I read an article about the suicide rate in the field of law particularly trial attorneys, rates of anxiety, depression, through the roof with these folks, okay? We've all got stuff going on. And this is not, you know, you know, we're not, you know, we don't work at a coffee shop, okay? Where your worst day, ah, shit, spilled, I just spilled a cup, I spilled a cup of coffee. On a customer. Unless you're McDonald's in 1994 and that cost you $3 million. Okay. Terrible example. Terrible example. Terrible example. Okay. I made the wrong latte. I, I, I made the I was supposed to make a latte and I made a cappuccino. That's like your worst day at a coffee shop. Well, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> when you're doing what I'm doing. You're bouncing around the country working on catastrophic injury cases and death cases, right? You, defense counsel, you're doing the same thing. This is not an easy job. A lot of hours, a lot of stress. You got to take care of yourself. Claims people. You know, you're supposed to be managing 50 claims and instead you got 80. It's, it's tough. Plaintiff attorneys that are listening, hello. I know you're out there. Welcome to the podcast. You're under similar stresses. Okay? We're all under stress. So, I'm going to conclude this podcast with 2024. I want each and every one of you to develop, to, do, to keep growing no matter how old you are. And to get better. It's not going to be easy. But to get better... Set unique, special, uncommon goals and set up a plan that's practical, realistic, with short little steps to get there. Not the big, I'm losing 40 pounds in the next six weeks. No, that's what will set you up for failure. All right. 
discuss the litigation psychology podcast for today. Mm. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski. We'll see you next time.